You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So let's take a moment to talk about WinBet, the latest and greatest sports betting app on the market. The same five-star hotel service that you know and love is now in the digital betting space, providing an elite sports book and digital casino app. Whether you're playing money lines, totals, props, futures, boosted parlays, or even live betting, WinBet has you covered. Are you looking for football, basketball, baseball, hockey, soccer, MMA, boxing, tennis, golf, and more? It's all right there in your WinBet app. Listing in Michigan or New Jersey, try your hand inside WinBet's digital casino. All your favorite games from the casino floor are now in the palm of your hand. WinBet is also fully integrated with Win Rewards. That means by playing WinBet, you can accrue points to earn free credit in app and comp dollars towards perks at Win Resorts, discounted hotel stays, priority and entertainment, free merch. It really is the finest loyalty program in the industry. Call it a win win. Whether playing from your phone or your computer, you've absolutely got to sign up for the WinBet app. Whether playing from your phone or your computer, you've absolutely got to sign up for WinBet ASAP. Bet with the best. Get into the game. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. You've got to be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. I could have, you know, I lost in the final of a Masters event like five times, all to, you know, Fed, Nadal, or Djokovic, um, or Andy. So, like, um, I felt like I belonged to the point where, like, it wasn't good enough. And, um, and that, you know, kind of ultimately sort of slowly, I guess, sort of slowly took me down. Welcome to Jim Rome Podcast, episode 188. It is great to be back with you, and I'm excited today to carve out some time for a sport that I do truly love. I'm joined by former U.S. tennis star and the current Davis Cup captain, Marty Fish. Now, if you follow the game for the past few decades, you know Marty. He won 14 tournament titles. He brought home silver at the 2004 Olympics. He raked in over $7 million in career earnings, but he also battled some pretty serious health issues throughout his career, both mental and physical. And now he's sharing more about that struggle with severe anxiety than ever before in the latest installment of the Untold series on Netflix. And considering what's gone on this summer with the likes of Simone Biles, Naomi Osaka, and others, there has never been a better and more important time for a chat like this on this side hustle. So I want to get right to this conversation. It's compelling, it's riveting, and it's extremely critical. It is episode 188 with Marty Fish, and it starts right now. Marty, your documentary, Breaking Point, as part of the Untold series on Netflix, is really, really something. I'm really happy to have the opportunity to talk to you. First of all, thank you very much for making time to do so. How are things? How's your life? Things are great, man. Um, Out here in L.A., um, I think you are as well, and the sun is shining, so life is good. Good, man. Good to hear it. I'm actually, I'm in Orange County. I grew up in the 818 in the Valley. So uh, yeah, we're close. We're close. Listen, before we get into it, I, I got to pick my spots because the story has so much depth and it's really complex. So let me start right here. Prior to 2009, you had done some really good things in the sport. You had some really nice wins. You made a nice living. You got to see the world. You were generally pretty happy with the way things were going. How would you characterize your career to that point? 
um, on um, it was uh, uh, you know probably didn't go as well as I had hoped. Um, you know, I, I I came out and my first full year on tour was 2003. I finished the year 17 in the world. I was 21 years old. Hmm. Um, thought it was only you know only upside from there right like you know andy erotic is you know was coming on the same time he finished the year number one um we were you know close as could be and and you know playing matches and traveling the world like you said and and, and winning a lot and it was fun um I was uh, I was inconsistent um, for most of it. You, you said it perfectly. I had some nice wins. Um, uh, I had some nice results here and there. I made a nice living. You're totally right. Like, uh, um, and uh, um, and and so it 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 sort of. I always wanted. You know, it was deep down. Like I always knew that. Like I could probably get. I could probably change my body a little bit, you know, worry about my fitness, maybe my body a little bit more than I am, but you know what, like I'm 24 years old, so I got time and this is going to just last forever. You know, um, it wasn't until, yeah, you're right. Like 2009, I wasn't out. Of, I wasn't overweight. Like in terms of like, you walk down the street and you're like, Oh, look at that guy. He's overweight. Like you you're like, that guy's a professional athlete. Okay. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Like that's how overweight I was. Um, so I had a, a knee surgery that I really, really was because, um, because I was too heavy. Um, I was carrying too much weight on the court period. And it gave me, it was in September and it gave me a couple months to really be able to, uh, uh give you the time to really change my diet was really what I was trying to do. So we hired a chef. Um, she came and it was chef is even a strong word because it was like, you know, a, a, a Guatemalan lady who would like come and we would sort of tell her what to make. It wasn't really like, you know, the, the celebrity chef that we see um, or, or maybe that you probably have. Yeah, wrong. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, wrong. But, um, you haven't but, seen but, me but, lately. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but she, um, you know, so she, she made everything. We calorie counted everything and it, it became obsessive. It became something that, I mean, the first six weeks I flew off. I thought I needed to lose 10 to 15 pounds. I ended up losing 32 pounds. Wow. Um, getting in uh, the, the best shape uh, that I could possibly get into, right? Like everything that went in my body was for a reason. Every decision that I made on or off the court was for fitness and for my tennis. It completely changed. It completely bled into everything that I did. Um, uh, my work ethic changed. I, I could my forehand stunk, and it always stunk. But it was, but it, but I was able to 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 work on it more because I I could last out there longer in practice. Um, before I wasn't like a, 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 a you know a lazy guy. I just I thought when I got tired I was supposed to stop, and I never really understood the the the. Uh, the the diet or or fitness level in tennis um, and how important that is. So uh, once once I was able to sort of hammer that part down, I knew that I was different, but I didn't know what that meant or what that was going to translate to. So if you have ever been behind the wheel of a high performance sports car and you realize then how much better a car can be, you never want to settle for a regular car ever again. 
Am I right? Yeah, well, I feel the exact same way about my X chair. From the moment I first sat down in it, I understood why many consider X chair to be the finest office chair in the world. Can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? My X chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? My X chair can. It's all in the L-Max Massage and Temperature Regulation, exclusively designed and made for X-Chair. And once you feel that customized support of X-Chair's patented Dynamic Variable Lumbar, or DVL, your back will never be happy in any other chair ever again. Take my advice. Try X-Chair for yourself, risk-free, for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you will never, ever go back. I promise. Go to xchairrome.com right now. That's the letter X chair r-o-m-e.com for 100 bucks off your order x chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort that's xchairrome.com so marty what's amazing to me is it's like to your point it it was more than a diet i mean it was a lifestyle it was more than a lifestyle it was an obsession it was almost even more than an obsession it was almost like a religion it was all consuming i'm really curious like what was there an epiphany? What like what exactly changed? How did you get leverage on yourself to completely reinvent your mind, body, and spirit like that? It's a great. I mean, I, it it all worked. Um, I, I think first of all, like we don't have an off season really in tennis, right? Like they, you know, they finish mid September, mid November, and then we're off to Australia before January. Um, so, so like, there's not a lot of time in there to change around your diet because you also want to work on your fitness. Then you want to work on your, that's the only time that you actually have time to do it, um, to sort of work on your game. So, um, so it was really difficult to, to sort of change my, my diet because I thought that I just needed to eat a lot. Cause I was, you know, I was training and still, you know, still sort of training. Now I had the time I had the surgery September 28, 2009, and um, the reason that I know that is not because it was the surgery. My, it was our first anniversary of my marriage with my wife. So like that was a, um, quite the first anniversary to go, to, to go uh, do, do a surgery with her. But, um, but uh, yeah, it gave me the time, dude. It really did. Like it gave me the, gave me three months to like really bear down, focus on my diet first and my rehab of, to, of my knee because I couldn't even play tennis then anyways. It, it was six months before I was able to like, you know, get on the treadmill. And I remember the first time I got on the treadmill at the rehab uh, center there at the hospital, um, I felt like a different human being. I felt like I was light as a feather. I was like bouncing up, like when I was running, like it was just different. My, my foot would go down and I wouldn't feel the pounding as much pounding as I normally would. Um, I'll never forget that when I jumped on the treadmill for the first time. So um, I just, again, like I knew it was different. I was consumed by it. I was never going to go back. I knew that I, like, I loved the way I felt. I liked the way I looked, um, you know, in, in terms of, in terms of just going to the beach or something like that, you know, I was always, you know, kind of embarrassed to take my shirt off. Now I was like, Hey, I'm going to practice with my shirt off, you know, which I never did. So like, yeah, like it, it, I just loved all the aspects of it. And I genuinely thought, whether I was or I wasn't, that I was the fittest athlete in the world, like in terms of aerobically, you know, like I wasn't the strongest, but I was definitely like, you could tell me, you could say, Hey dude, I'm going to lunch. Okay. I'm going to jump on the treadmill. Just let me know when you're back. I'll, I'll be on there and I'll put the treadmill on 7.5 and I'll just be running until you get back. 
you know, like I can do that. And, um, and so I, I honestly felt like that sort of cockiness to myself and, and in, in my, with my fitness, fitness is so important in tennis. If you're not fit, you can't play. You got to be, tennis is really hard because you got to be really fit. You have to be really mentally tough. And then you got to be really good at it. You know, like you got to be, you got to be able to play it well, you know, and, and you can't, if you don't have any, uh, if you don't have all three of those, you're not going to get everything out of your, out of your game. So, and then you did, right? So, you know, the old saying, look good, feel good, feel good, play good. Well, you played exceptionally well. Like how did this show up on the court? What did this do to your play in your career? Yeah. First of all, it helped my practice. Right. So like I could, you know, then I, I would start practicing more hours. Then I would start asking more people to go on the other side of the court. Then I would start asking like, okay, I'll, I'll you're at 10 to 12, you're at 12 to two, because the guys couldn't last the full four hours. I would, I would, you know, have multiple sparring partners, if you will. Um, and, uh, and, and practice that way. Then, on the court, the really the first time, like, again, like you mentioned early on, like I had some nice results. So I had beaten, you know, I'd beaten Federer in 2008, but um, one of the best matches I've ever played in my life against him. And, you know, it was uh, uh, beat Andy Murray in uh, Miami um, in 2010, kind of after the, after the surgery had happened and after I'd lost the weight, but it wasn't really until the French open. I played the French open that year, 2010, I played a second round match against uh, Ivan Lubicic. He's a really good uh, player from uh, Croatia. He's a top five player at the time. And, um, and I, uh, clay was a terrible surface for me. Um, and, uh, you know, I wouldn't have great results, firstly, because I, my game wasn't tailored towards clay. And secondly, because I wasn't fit enough to last on it. Um, I played him and I ended up losing like 14 12 in the fifth set right and it was like a two-day match you know we darkness suspended darkness we came back and and we came back the next day and played another set and a half or something i felt like i could play another five sets i ended up losing the match and i was like this is different i can play a different way i can play a different style if i'm not playing well if i was playing well jim like i was really good like i could beat like you said i could beat federer i could beat murray i could beat guys one on a one-off match but if i've had to play them 10 times in a row like i was going to probably lose nine of them but i could win that one that one time so my high end was really good and then my low end like stunk and so my low end now changed from stinking to hey i'm just gonna like fall back here not miss and let them let them self-destruct themselves and and try and hold serve as much as i can because i had a nice serve i had a big serve so i could hold serve but now I'm just not going to miss because I can just outlast these guys. Now I'm going to start saying, okay, uh, European player, um, uh, we're going to, you know, I, I'll go into an American mat, American tournament and go to the tournament director and say, hey, can you put us at 1 p.m. or 3 p.m. or something like that to where I can play in the middle of the day when it's the hottest mm. in Cincinnati, Washington, D.C., New York and U.S. Open, you know, when it's super hot. So I would go and I would request those and then I would make it I would make it aware to the media and to the other players that I wanted to play then it, whether you know whether I wanted to, no one loves to play in 100 degree weather but I liked it more than they did. And so I let them know that and so then it was a mind game it was like I'm going to play all these mind games these guys are going to know that I love to play in this 100 degree weather when I definitely didn't love playing in 100 degree weather you know. So like yeah you're like it, my my whole life my my I went from being a you know quote unquote lazy player to being like the the hardest worker out there 
Um, and, and that all happened over the course of a really like an aha moment of like, Hey, this is your time. This is the time. Do you want to just skate along and be an average professional tennis player? Or do you want to, do you want to get everything out of you, out of you that you, that you were God given? And then Marty, then all of a sudden you're like in this elite, elite group. Like, as you mentioned, Andy Roddick was your guy. Like you guys grew up together. You came up together. You lived together. You trained together. He goes on to become number one in the world in the hall of famer. He had beaten you nine straight times before you finally got him. And then you beat him again. And the next thing you know, all of a sudden it has come together. You are number one in America for the first time. You're top 10 in the world. You literally had worked and willed yourself to that point almost from scratch, late in your career, and now you're rolling in this club, right? Now you're knocking heads with the best to ever do it, the likes of Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, a very exclusive fraternity. What did that feel like? I mean, it felt like I belonged. Um, it felt like it felt like all the hard work that I had sacrificed in doing, you know, in not going to dinner. I mean, dude, I used to, on my diet, I used to, one of my buddies had like a 30th birthday. I would, I ate before I went to his birthday dinner because I didn't want to, the, the restaurant wouldn't have had like the, the, the type of stuff that I was going to eat. Like I, that's the kind of stuff that I was doing. Um, so, so I belonged, but but I remember, and I'll, again, I'll never forget this part too, where I got to my career high of number seven in the world. And it was only for one week. I was eight for a long time, but like seven in the world for one week. And it was the week after I lost to Djokovic in the final of Montreal, which is a big tournament, lost in three sets, tight match. Um, you know, I could have beat him. He could have beat me, you know, kind of one of those could have gone anyway kind of thing. But I was right there, I was seven in the world. And I... Um, I got in the locker room in Cincinnati and I looked around and I, I remember this vividly. I went to my, I said to myself, there's six guys in this locker room that are better than you. That's not acceptable. And so I just, I never gave myself like the, the sort of, you know, even a day, dude, like I, I left that night, jumped on a plane that night, got to Cincinnati, practiced the next day, I didn't even take a day off, you know? And like, I didn't give myself the time to go step back and go, Hey man, this is pretty cool. You know, like you are, a top, you know, eight seed in the world, like you get a buy now in these big events. And like, you know, there's top eight seeds get like their own locker rooms in certain tournaments. Like it's a really cool thing to be in the top eight. Um, and uh, I, I didn't even give myself a chance to enjoy it, like to really like step back and go, you know what, you've worked really hard for this. You should enjoy this time, you know, maybe after the US Open, maybe not necessarily at that moment, but maybe after the US Open when you play or something like you know, once that's done and the summer's over, you can really step back. And I, I was never, I couldn't do it. My expectations changed so much, put so much pressure on myself to where I was like, okay, I'm number one American now. Everybody's watching me. I want to win a big tournament, you know, whether it's a slam or whether it's a master's event or something like that. You know, the master's events are basically slams are just two out of three sets instead of three out of five, like three out of five was going to support me better with my fitness, but like I could have, you know, I lost in the final of, a, a master's event like five times um, all to, you know, Fed, Nadal or Djokovic um, or Andy. So like um, I felt like I belonged to the point where like it wasn't good enough. And, um, and that, you know, kind of ultimately sort of slowly, I guess, sort of slowly took me down. Hey, you want to hear something amazing? 
Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing because of all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. Yeah, I mean, like to that point, Marty, I think that there was a part in the doc where I think that Andy Roddick said, I wasn't ever jealous of Federer. I was jealous of how he was able to manage and handle this whole thing as effortlessly as he was. Like you do all this work and you get in the top 10, the top seven. And as you mentioned, the expectations changed like internally, externally. Now all of a sudden there's all this pressure. When did the anxiety attacks begin? They began when they began when I had an issue with my heart. So I had a, a thing called tachycardia, which is an electrical issue um, around your heart. It's like the quarterback to your heart. There's thousands of electrodes around your heart. And when you're when they fire, it tells your heart to beat. So like fire up a bump, fire up a bump. There's some that can malfunction. It's very common. It's called you have a procedure called an ablation. They go through your main vein. Uh, uh, of your body and they go up and they recreate the the bad electrodes and they kill them it's very common and and you know people do it's like an 80 percent procedure or something um we did that they fixed it uh from because of that i had had a couple traumatic experiences where i'd gone to the hospital so i thought my again um i had trained in such a a unique way that I, i would train with a heart rate monitor on when i was when i was in practice and I'll try to get my heart rate up literally as high as it could possibly go, like doing everything possible as high as I could get it. And then I would take 25 seconds of like deep breaths and stuff, walking in the back of the court just to recreate in between points, which is how much time we have in between points and then see how low I could get my heart rate. So like I was really aware of where my heart could be. I could not physically get my heart to beat higher than 192 beats. Uh, I, I, I tried to like, I tried to get it to 200. It would not go higher than that. Um, when I was having these episodes, my heart would beat at like 220, 230 beats per minute. Wow. And, and you can't just, um, breathe your way or, or internally like sort of focus on your breathing techniques and get it down. It doesn't listen to that. Um, so I thought I legitimately thought I was dying. Like my heart, I can't stop it. I know how to to, I know what my heart rate does. That was like another problem, right? Like I know if I didn't know that much about my heart rate, maybe it wouldn't have been a big deal, but I knew how to like get my heart rate up and down very easily because I would work so hard off the court, you know? And, um, and, and so I'd had some experiences where I was like legitimately thought I was dying. Um, and, and looking back, you're like, you know, they put me in the ambulance and they hooked me up to the EKG and then I'd kind of calm down a little bit or whatever. And it would still be racing about 180, 190 when I get to the hospital. And then, you know, over time, like it just kind of goes away. It was 45 minutes or so and it would go away. Super uncomfortable, though. And off of that, um, I think I, did, you know, sort of developed this sort of anxiety or anxiousness around when I didn't feel that well, you know? So like if I ate too much food, um, I'd get anxious when I didn't eat enough food, when I didn't get enough sleep, when I worked, you know, uh, um, uh, if I went for a jog and I, you know, and I thought my body hurt or something, I was, I was, um, 
I, I was sore or something like my, I would get anxiety and like I was starting to have this over the course of the summer in 2012 and <clears throat> and um, and it just never went away. And so we got to the US Open and I, you know, by then I had sort of known what was wrong, right? I was having, I was, I had anxiety disorder or something, you know, I had some sort of anxiety, um, excessive anxiety, you know, <clears throat> severe anxiety, something like that. And, and I couldn't, um, I couldn't uh, figure out, you know, I didn't know anyone around me that had suffered from mental health. Um, uh, that was close to me or myself, you know, so like I was really naive and uneducated about mental health and about panic, uh, depression, anxiety, um, all that stuff. Um, so I got in the car to head to the US Open the day um, I was supposed to play Federer, the, the, the match that I had worked so hard to get to, right? Like the, the tournament that you want to win or do well at the US Open as an American, the the guy you want to beat most, Roger Federer, because he's the one that everybody says, hey, do you know Federer? You know, you play tennis, you know Federer? I'm like, yeah, I know him. He's beat me like 100 times. So like, so like that is the match that I wanted to get to get to and to get to play and to driving to the courts that day, I'm crying and I'm like, I can't, I don't know how I'm going to play. I don't know how I'm going to play. And as athletes and as such a young age, certainly tennis players we're trained mentally to like, never show, never give up, never show weakness. Don't show you're tired, never show fear, you know, it's stuff like that. Right. And so how am I going to play this when I'm clearly in fear and uncomfortable and whatever, and thank God. And it's the most important thing with a, with mental health issues is support system. Thank God I had a great support system and I had my wife with me and she looks at me and she doesn't know the history of like how athletes are trained, you know, from a young age or whatever. She's not in that world. Um, she just knows me. And, and she says, you know, you don't have to play. And I went, Oh, you're right. You know? And I, and I thought to myself and right then when she said it, a weight lifted off my shoulders and I was like, you're right. I don't have to play. And that never would have crossed my mind if, if she wasn't there, if no one said something like that, um, I never would have not played like that's ridiculous. I always would have played like this wasn't, you know, like a ligament that I could, you know, that I could hurt more or, you know, it wasn't something like that. It was, it was legitimately in, in, internal. And, and it's why I, it's why I consider mental health to be physical because it's your brain. It's your brain that is malfunctioning. I mean, it's your brain that is emptied of, of chemicals, serotonin and, you just, it, it, that's part of your body. You're, that's a physical part of your body. And it never would have crossed my mind because I didn't feel like it was physical. I thought it was all mental. And, um, and, and now knowing um, after the fact that I feel like that is, you know, you know, as, as anyone can sort of go through and, and you can see, you know, you're, you worked out and you sprained your ankle, you're going to limp. Like, I'm going to see that and I'm going to go, Hey, are you okay? But if I have something internally or something mental um, going on in my brain or, or, or my body that, that, you know, that I can't, you know, that I can't handle or that I'm not processing well, you can't see that. And so um, it's really difficult to, um, to judge that and to, or, you know, people do judge that at a, at a high rate, trust me. And, um, and, and, and it, it, it's, it's just important to, to understand that like that, that is, it may be called mental health, but it's certainly physical.
So clones, what do we want when we're craving protein or we need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. No, we want beef. Pure and simple. So where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for their relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously. You can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest that goes with you wherever you go. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality that you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? First of all, this was 2012. So the discussion that we're having about mental health right now is so different than it was then. There really wasn't even one then. I think that when you say that your wife said that, I mean, you were in a really, really bad place, a really dark place. The one thing that you and I did not discuss, you had actually had an episode two days earlier during a match that had never happened before. Like that was your safe haven, the court that had never happened. And then you had a couple of days. And then I think what the listeners have to really understand like, this was not only the biggest match of your life, this was, like, the biggest moment of your life in a sense that you had spent your entire life to get to this place, you had done the work, you were top 10, it was U.S. Open. I mean, this was literally legacy stuff. This is everything, and you're on your way to the court, and you're, like, having this terrible episode, and your wife says, well, you don't have to play. And then you said to me just now, you know what? I thought, you're you're right, I don't have to play. But in reality, for a moment, right, you probably had trouble getting your head around that whole thing. Like, oh, no, I have to play. I have to play. (laughs) So you don't play, and then that's that. And I really wonder, like, so what happens? Like, then you go home. What were the ensuing weeks and months and even years like when you did not play that match? What was it like after? What happened then? Yeah, I, I well, I immediately we, we we immediately went to the airport um, to jump on a flight. Um, we got on the plane, a, a Virgin Virgin America plane and uh, or flight. And um, again, thank God my wife was there because I don't have this in me to really, you know, make a scene or anything like that. The door closes, and I'm like, oh no, oh no, I can't go, I can't go, I can't go. And I've got to get off the plane, got to get off the plane. And um, my wife just jumps up and is like, medical emergency, we're getting off the plane. You know, like we're getting off the plane. We have to get off the plane. We, we had already left like the gate, you know, like <laughs> it was really embarrassing. Like our, our bags had already, were already going to be sent to LA. Um, I spent five days at a friend at like our family friend's house in New York, uh, just on the tip of Long Island there and uh, hired a plane to, to go to get home, just, just to be able to get home. Um, once I got home, I knew that I had a long road ahead of me for sure. I didn't know what it was, um, I, 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 what was going on and, you know, internally, I didn't know, um, how I was going to, you know, get out of this, but man, I was desperate to like do anything to, to talk to anyone. Um, and I, I, uh, uh, got set up with a psychiatrist that was phenomenal. I saw him, you know, almost every day, basically. It was the only time I could leave my house. Literally the only time I could leave my house was, um, was, uh, to go to the doctors that I tried to go to lunch before a doctor appointment and someone, 
recognized me at the bar sitting at a at a pasta an Italian place in Beverly Hills. And the guy said, Hey, what, you know, are you okay? You know, did, why didn't you play, you know, kind of thing. And, um, uh, and, and so I, from there, I just felt uncomfortable to be out in public and, and I stayed in my TV room watching sports or just curled up in a ball for the next, you know, four months, probably until I could, you know, muster up the energy to go to a movie with my wife or go play golf. I, I couldn't wait to be able to get my life, part of my life back where I was like, I'm going to go play golf with my buddies and then I'm going to have a beer after it. I couldn't fathom being able to do that in the moment, but I couldn't wait to be able to do it after the fact. Um, so I was in really bad shape. I, I, I definitely feel like and understand uh, suicide. I definitely understand that, that part of um, of, of what happens to people when, when they get to that moment. Um, cause I was almost there. Um, and if I didn't have the support system that I had and still have, um, there's no way that, um, there's no telling, um, if I'd still be here. I was going to say, Marty, what happens if you don't have that support system, if you did not ask for and get the help that you needed when you needed it, what would have happened? Would we be having this conversation right now? It's a great question. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I certainly had thoughts of, am I going to hurt? Am I, am I going to get to the point where I am going to, am I going to hurt myself? I'm going to hurt someone close to me. Um, you know, and, and it was, you know, just really, really uncomfortable. And, um, and, and, you know, that's why I say, and I'll always say the support system first and foremost is just so important. Just the help around you, the, the, the openness and, 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 and being able to be vulnerable with somebody um, is just just paramount um, at, at the beginning. Marty, not, not, I, I don't mean to be naive, but help me with this. Like you were the guy that even if maybe your career initially was not what you thought it would be, man, you, dude, you were like such, you are, but you were such a, a, a great guy. Like you were the, the kind of laid back guy and you loved everything, right? You loved everything. You loved everybody. You loved being out. You loved traveling. You understood what, how fortunate you were to be a professional tennis player. You liked hanging out with your guys. You liked having something good to drink, something good to eat. Like you were that guy. And then in the end to that point, you just said, man, I couldn't leave the house. I couldn't go to a movie. I couldn't play golf. I couldn't do anything. Like exactly what happened? Is that totally chemical? Was that in a, a response to the environment? Like I'm not, I don't mean to be disrespectful or naive, but exactly what is that? What happened? It's so hard to, um, people, you know, people, people ask the question, like, what is it, what does it feel like to have anxiety? You know? And you're like, I'm like, man, I don't have the vocabulary to, to, un, to, to articulate exactly what it feels like. Um, but I'll try. Um, uh, it, it feels like it feels like you can't le you can't get your mind out of a a ball rolling down a hill and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, it, it, you don't want to be in uncomfortable situations, meaning like in an uncomfortable situation may be like just somebody you've never met before. You know, like I, I just I couldn't leave my house because I just thought that something would go wrong. Um, um, every time now that that subsided a little bit here, a little bit there week by week with the medication. I was a big proponent of taking medication. I still take it, um, every single day since then, um, since the first day I met the, the psychiatrist, um, I still talk to him, you know, so like it, it's very, it's very difficult. Um, 
I've always sort of felt to, to explain anxiety or like explain anxiety disorder. Um, that the re I can sort of explain why I got there, um, but how I got so deep in it was most likely just because I didn't know it. I wasn't educated enough to understand um, what the feeling was. What are these thoughts? Why are these thoughts coming every 15, 20 minutes of the day? And why are they so uncomfortable? Why do I not want to do anything? Why do I, you know, and, and, and why do I want to just lay in bed um, all day? Um, not not show myself to anyone, um, not get in touch with anyone. And you're right. Like I am, I'm from Minnesota. I'm Minnesota nice. Right. <laughs> like, right. You know, like I, like I have lots of friends and I try to have lots of friends because I like when people like me. Um, and, and I don't want people to not like me. So the whole, the whole, the whole thing to the reason why, you know, you sort of talk about this type of stuff is, is because, I thought it was important to have a success story, Jim. Like I thought, like I'm a, I am a sports fan through and through. I watch your show. I've watched seen your show a million times. Like I, I watch, you know, uh, uh, sports radio all the way down to every sporting event you can possibly watch. Right. Um, I didn't have anyone back in 2012 to lean on to go, Hey, that person was played a sport at a high level, male or female. And they came out with the story and they were, they were took them away from the game that they loved and they got back, but, um, uh, but it took some, took some time. They got back, they got and played, they went and played at a high level again and were successful again and beat it. Like I didn't have that success story. And so I wanted people like me to have that period. Like I wanted people, I'm not getting anything, you know, from, you know, from this, like I, I, I'm not, you know, getting anything, you know, no one's, no one's giving me um, high fives because I'm, you know, coming out with my story and going um, and, and, and saying and being super vulnerable to everyone. Um, it's not a manly thing. Like it's actually, I, I think the opposite. Like I, I train mixed martial arts. Like I train Muay Thai. I've actually got my guy uh, coming in five minutes <laughs> to, uh, to train. So like, I, like I'll, like, it's not a manly situation. Like I love that stuff. I'll fight anyone. Like in, in those, in that scenario, it's not about being tough or not being tough when you're showing vulnerability like that. Like I'm truly telling my story so others can know that they're not alone, that this happens to everyone and can happen to whether you're a radio host or a professional athlete or, or, um, or a, a journalist or whatever that I've spoken to. Um, you can, mental health doesn't care what your last name is what you do for a living. Um, it can take anyone down. And if you don't take care of your, take care of your mental health. If you ever stopped at a railway crossing and the signals are flashing and you don't see the train or it appears to be moving slowly and you're thinking maybe you can get across the tracks before the train comes. Think about this. Even if the engineer sees you and applies emergency brakes right away, it can take a train over one mile to stop, over a mile to stop. By that time, it's too late and the resulting crash will be deadly. Stop. Trains can't. Paid for by NHTSA. Marty, I would turn this thing on its head. I would say to you, I, I actually kind of disagree with that. I think that this whole notion of, well, by, by showing how vulnerable I am, it shows that I'm not mentally tough. I would argue that by doing what you did, 
shows how extremely mentally tough you are. I, I would turn that thing on and say, I think it's an extreme show of mental toughness because you became that person that others could look to. You were the one that said, hey, listen, I'm dealing with this. Like, I, I think it's amazing what you've done. And I know you've got this appointment or I could just keep doing this over and over and keep going. You made it back. You got to play again. You had that summer of 2015. And then I'm just skipping ahead to 2020. You get a call from the head of the USTA offering you the job of U.S. Davis Cup captain, which is an enormous honor. Given everything you had gone through, overcome, worked through, what did it mean to you to get that phone call? Um, I'd never interviewed for anything in my life, ever. Um, I, I, you know, tennis didn't need to interview anything. Uh, they, you know, contracts, they'd sign you because they wanted you. Uh, racket contracts, clothing contracts. I called, I didn't know what to do, Jim. So I called everyone that I thought may have had even a, even remotely a, a say in the job. I called every player, uh, every American male player, um, every person that worked with the USTA. And I said, this is a dream job of mine. I would love, I would be honored to be the Davis Cup captain. I was fascinated by um, by the job while I played as well. Like I just, I, I loved the idea of the captaincy. Um, and I love every aspect of it, all the way from choosing the players to telling the players that they're not on the team. Um, uh, so it, it's, an, it's truly an honor. It's a dream job um, to have. Um, and I think that the best job to have post-retirement. Last thought then, Marty, the, and again, the, the documentary is amazing. It's an amazing thing to see, and I really appreciate you and you sharing your story. What would you tell any athlete or really any in individual for that matter that is struggling with depression or anxiety or mental health on any level that don't know where to turn or what to do or where to go? Yeah, I'd, I'd say first and foremost, look around you. Who is, who is most important to you? Um, who can you be vulnerable with? Who can you tell your deepest, darkest secrets to? Right. And, and who, who, um, who has your back, right? Um, a support system is so important. I've said it multiple times already on this, but it, it is so important to have um, someone to turn to, to talk to first and foremost. Secondly, it's so important to get help just to understand that like, you're not alone. You're not uh, an outcast. Um, tens of millions of Americans deal with mental health issues every single day, just Americans. Um, I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me on direct message on Twitter in the last 24 hours, hundreds of people, Jim, where they've said literally the same, I've been dealing with something like this. Um, uh, uh, this was so nice to, to watch. So be, you were open about it. It makes me want to feel, feel like I need to talk to someone or want to talk to someone about it because talking about it make automatically makes you feel better. It really does. Like it, it, it brings a weight off your shoulders to let you know you're not alone. And, um, and, and then, and then finally, um, just, just like understand that it's not going to ever, it will always kind of be a part of your life. Um, mental uh, anxiety disorder will always be a part of my life. It's something that I'll probably think about almost every day for the rest of my life, but I'll beat it every single day. I said that in the doc, um, I win every single day and everyone can too. Um, if they get, if they get the, the help they need. And, and that is finding a, finding a good doctor, finding, um, if medicine is, is the way that you want to go, if therapy is the way you want to go, um, there's many different ways that you can go and beat this 
beat your disease or, or your illness, if you will, um, but you're not alone. Well, there's no telling how many people, Marty, that you've helped by sharing your story. I really appreciate you taking as much time as you did on this podcast today. I appreciate you. I appreciate that journey. I appreciate that you have a workout to get to right now. You and I do not live that far from one another, man. If we can come together in person, that'd be great one day, too. I'd love to do that. I would as well. We'll, we'll, we'll connect after this. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for watching. Major thanks once again to Marty Fish. I have so much respect and admiration and appreciation for him. It simply is not easy to be that open and that transparent about what he's dealt with, about his anxiety issues. And honestly, tragic to hear how big of a role they played in his career, but the positive is he is sharing his story and there's no telling how many people he has helped in the process and continues to do so by doing interviews like this and telling his story. This is a doc that you absolutely have to see. Once again, riveting and compelling, and I want to thank him for making as much time for this podcast as he did. Now, if you enjoyed that chat and you want to hear more, we've got you covered. Just be sure to take a second and subscribe while you're here. This way, every single week, a new episode will find its way to you, and you don't have to do any work tracking it down. It really is that easy. In the meantime, thank you once again for listening, and let me get you to your voicemails. First new message. Hi, Jim. Bella B in Calgary. I'm not going to watch the untold doc on AJ Galante until after I listen to your podcast. I hope he knows you're the only guy who taught hockey in the summer. Bye. Message saved. Next message. What's up, Vance Mac? It's Brady. Yo, how come Count Chalkula won't tell us which Ivy he went to? I mean, if he's Penn Quaker fam, then we got to promote him to Captain Crunch. But if he went somewhere like Cornell... It's time to put him first on the downgrade list to Silly Rabbit. So see if you can get them to reveal that, Jim. Thanks. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Rome, what's up? This is David from Buffalo. I'm calling in, man, about Bryson DeChambeau, bitching about people calling him Brooksy. Hey, DeChambeau, if this is what you're worried about, man, when you're trying to be the best player out there in the world, it's absolutely heinous, man. I mean, this is nonsense, dude. Just ignore it. Go play golf. Go win tournaments. Look at all the shit the Tiger and all these other guys have gone through over the years, and this is what you're worried about, dude. Bro, you are softer than the ice cream at Dairy Queen if this is what bothers you, homie. I'm just going to say this, man. At the end of the day, dude, you might be a science freak. You might be a great physical specimen, but golf, especially at the highest of high levels on the PJ Tour, it's one between the fucking ears. If you're going to win it at the Ryder Cup for the U.S., you're going to win more majors. Dude, you got to get a lot tougher mentally. Out. Message saved. Next message. Rumi. What's up? It's Dr. Dave. Hey, just want to wish all my fellow tribesmen out there a happy new year and a Shana Tova. Hey, Phil, is that a charcuterie tray that your wife is going to have for the high holidays? Kosher? Anyways, Rome, you know, with this new Jeopardy host situation, whoever it is when I eventually get on the show, at least it's not Mike Richards. What a fucking douchebag that guy was. Later, bitches. Message deleted. Next message. Jeremiah in Colorado. I haven't called in in a minute because I got a new job. Anyway, that's besides the point. Listen, Ohio State minus 13 and a half. Were we ever worried? No, because what did we do? We hit it live at halftime when they were down. Jimmy, listen, this Buckeyes team is fucking unreal. All right? I've had way too many tequila waters tonight. Anyway, war Ohio State Buckeyes football and war the Jim Rome show. Thanks, brother. See ya. Message saved. Next message. Romy, Justin and Melbourne, man. 
when are we going to put the turnover chain in the ground? I mean, this thing's so outplayed. Miami's getting their asses whooped by 30 late in the third quarter. They get a turnover, and they're celebrating on the sidelines like they just won the national championship. I mean, give it a rest, bros. Scoreboard. Message saved. You have no more messages.